This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we review and preview the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And we join this podcast on a historic morning, the Conservatives securing a huge majority in the general election. Craig, good morning. What a night. Tell us about the mood before that exit poll at 10am where everything was still up for grabs. What was the mood of the whole evening as it went across the, what, five, six hours? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everyone was nervous, really. I mean, it, it, it felt like such a massive election and it... it no one really knew for sure which way it was going to go. Quite often going into these things, you know whether it's going to be close. You tend to have an idea of uh, where things are heading. But I think a lot of people have lost faith in the polls over the last few years because of how wrong they've got certain elections. The referendum, another example, we look back at, you can go all the way back to 2015. The polls didn't have Cameron getting a majority. 2016, they missed the referendum result. They also missed the Trump election. They missed the Theresa May um, majority or minority government, as it turned out. So people have really lost uh, faith in the polls so I think there was just this massive uncertainty and when you, you when you add the layer that is Brexit into that uncertainty then I think a lot of people were nervous for different reasons um, and weren't confident about how it was going to materialise so everyone was watching that exit poll because while the polls have been wrong I think it's five out of the last six elections the exit poll has been within five seats uh, of the uh, uh, of the winning party so you know they're going to be pretty accurate uh, and and yeah, so once 10 o'clock came, everything everything went off uh, and then everything calmed down again really, really quickly. A remarkable win for the Conservative Party. This is obviously the result the markets wanted. And we've seen the pound return to levels that can go, go back quite a while, jumping, I think, sterling to a three and a half year high against the euro. Um We've factored in some of this pricing in terms of sterling over the last few days because many people thought there would be a majority for the Conservative Party, but this has gone beyond what was expected. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, actually, the pound started rising on those. There was the um, uh, the 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 poll that we had from YouGov, which was really accurate, actually. The one poll that was that actually indicated in 2017 that Theresa May may lose the majority. And that came out a couple of weeks ago and showed that I think the gap was 48 seats, um, a 48-seat majority that the Tories would get. And from then, the pound started rising. This confidence started creeping back in. And we mentioned on the previous podcast, or I mentioned on the previous podcast, that I wondered whether there was a bit of complacency setting in, almost like the traders had forgotten how badly this had turned out previously um, and then the, the the polls narrowed again and the pound stabilized a little uh, so we had actually seen some decent gains in the run up to this uh, but the, when that majority came out I mean even if you take into account the margin forever that doesn't leave you in hung parliament territory so all of a sudden the the, the excitement grew and it was the pound rallied two two and a half percent now that may not sound like a lot because we're either used to stocks rising five ten percent on a day Saudi Aramco this week rose ten percent on two consecutive days Bitcoin can rise 10% on a bad day. So 2% may not sound a lot, but in the currency markets, that's actually a, a huge move. And as you say, it, it, it rose to a multi-year high against the euro, 18-month high against the US dollar. But it all happened really, really quickly. And after that, it just 
died. It just stabilized pretty much for the rest of the night because while the exit polls aren't always guaranteed to be correct, especially in such an uncertain election, and they actually widen the margin forever for this because uh, of the additional layer that Brexit added, uh, they, they just started coming out in line with expectations. So there wasn't really an enormous amount of movement in the markets overnight. And I believe you had the Oanda Christmas party last night. You, Define you, me. Yeah, you, you must have been on the soft drinks and then realised about halfway through the, the night that there wasn't a great deal to say after all. Yeah, I managed the starter and the main and the guy <laughs> next to me at my dessert uh, because I was uh, running back to You're the office for the exit poll. Yeah. And um, yeah, there was that moment around half ten when I was thinking to myself, uh, this is going to be a really bad night. This is going to be a really slow night. There isn't going to be too much happening. Uh, maybe not I a bad just, night for Boris Johnson, of course. Not a bad night for Boris yeah. Johnson, but um, it, it could be a really slow night. And this is the problem with a Christmas party. When you're the only one left in the office, you really do find yourself questioning, is it even worth staying here or should I just go back and join the Christmas party? I chose the former. Maybe that's a sign <laughs> of how sad I am. Uh, but I just thought there, there was still a few twists and turns that can happen in this election. We saw a couple, obviously. Joe Swinson, uh, she lost her seat, uh, the Lib Dem leader, to the SNP. Very marginal uh, loss there as well. Uh, there were a few others which I think you're going to name. Well, the biggest story is the northern seats going blue. Incredible. The red wall. The red wall. Um under no circumstances, because even the most optimistic Tory had thought that was going to happen. It's seismic, isn't it, the shift? And I was going to talk about this a bit later, but we may as well talk about it now. The pressure is going to be now on in terms of investment and infrastructure for the Conservative Party to put money into those regions as a almost a thank you mm-hmm. uh, for supporting them. But more importantly, because those regions genuinely do need investment, particularly with Brexit now inevitably on the way. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's lots of different ways to look at this. The Tories were really targeting these seats. Labour stronghold Brexit seats. This was their opportunity to capture a seat which they would never have had an opportunity to capture uh, without Brexit. And they managed it in, 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 in emphatic fashion. There were seats that uh, haven't have been a Labour stronghold since the early 20th century. Some seats that had never voted Conservative went Conservative. And Brexit was clearly a massive part of that. Now, as you say... If the Tories have any sense about them, they need to. Work, they now need to decide. We have a chance now to hold these seats. People have voted uh, for this based on Brexit, and I think while there are other issues at hand here, that you can in, in these seats in particular, you can clearly look at this and say Brexit played a massive part of this, and that means that in five years' time, with Brexit done, these are very vulnerable as far as the Tories are concerned to moving straight back to Labour. Um, uh, so they, they they now need to look after them for the next five years because if they can keep them in five years' time because they've spent money in the communities because they've looked after them that's a massive massive problem uh for labor if they start if these if these uh, communities start to resonate more with the Tories, both in terms of brexit but also um uh, from from a financial standpoint as well we've had three elections in just four years so when you talk about five years it seems like a very very long way away now it's the oldest cliche in the book uh, markets hate uncertainty but at least we now know that this government will be in power Mm-hmm. For five years, I do. I do think that they will be in power for five years. It may it may seem bizarre in this political environment, and I'm not just talking the UK. You look look across Europe; governments don't seem to last the full term. And um, 
It would take in, something quite remarkable for them to lose power, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, let's look. Let's look at the history we've got. We've got 2010. We had a we had the the global financial crisis, the biggest financial crisis since the 30s, and the Conservatives couldn't get a majority there. They went into coalition with the Lib Dems. We had 2015 when it took a Brexit referendum offer to get them a majority, and even they didn't ex- expect to get that majority, and the polls certainly didn't expect them to get the majority. And I think David Cameron was probably banking on them not getting a majority so he could pull out of the uh, of the referendum. Uh, uh, promise. Then we have 2017, where we have the confidence and supply arrangement with the DUP. Um, it, it's so this is quite an extraordinary event, and this is the biggest majority what since the Thatcher years. Yeah. So like this, is, this is huge. This is the what Labour's worst performance since before the Second World War. The, I mean, this is huge. So this is a massive majority. So therefore, I see no reason why this can't last five years as long as they don't mess it up. But I mean. I mean that that's the, that's the only flip side to that right it's can they possibly throw this all away with uh, internal politics but with such a big a big majority there are some who will ironically now hope for a softer brexit because uh, Boris Johnson doesn't have to kowtow to the far right of the Conservative Party, the ERG group. It doesn't have to worry about the DUP. That's an interesting uh, mm-hmm. sideline, which we sh- should talk about as well, when I, in terms of the breakup of the United Kingdom, which is also an, a now a danger and could affect us uh, economically going forward. But it is very interesting uh, to see the possibility that Boris Johnson can now uh, talk to the EU uh, without you know, his hands tied behind his back, The EU know that there's no chance of a referendum and obviously that affected things when he was negotiating uh, the withdrawal deal with them and of course Theresa May before him. Uh, Now they can actually go in as, dare I say it, honest brokers. They know the deal now. They know that we're definitely leaving the EU and let's try and make the best of it for both parties. Or will they? Because they still might look to punish the UK for leaving the EU as an example to any other of the 27 nations who might contemplate leaving in the future. Yeah, I mean, so there's a few different things to comment on there. One, um, Andrew Andrew Neil actually put this question to Mark Francois, I think it was, uh, overnight. And he was saying, do you realise that you've almost done such a good job in this election campaign that you've now given Boris Johnson the freedom to not obey the ERG, to not have to feel like you are, uh, that he has to please you because he doesn't necessarily need your votes like he did before. Um, and so you've actually may have weakened your position and you may have given him uh, enough rope that he can now ungo- negotiate a uh, softer uh, Brexit effectively as part of this future trade agreement. And I think it's long been suggested that while Boris has played the the uh, the the lever card uh, and the I'm willing to leave with no deal, blah blah blah. Uh, I think it's long been suggested that he's not actually as big a lever as he likes to make out, and he's actually wasn't sure how which way to go in the referendum, and that he may actually be pretty pro EU. So now that he's got this extra this extra slack, he he may actually now try to pursue a softer deal, knowing full well that he doesn't need to rely on the ERG anymore in order to get that through the Commons. So, yeah, that is a really interesting point from the EU's perspective. I think there's two things we have to remember. One is that they want as close a relationship as they can with the UK, uh, and the, so the, the, there is going to be a desire to get this deal done. We have a basis of a trading relationship in place, or like that we've been working from for many, many years. So it's a case of how much that gets. Can you do it in a year, though? 
No, I, 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 I'd, be, I'd be problem, incredibly shocked if he can do it within a year. But then, again, he can request an extension because he has the numbers in Parliament now yeah. and he doesn't need to rely on the ERG, who would potentially block an extension. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's going to be his biggest maybe, concern. Maybe the ERG are actually quite relieved about that because maybe they've had enough. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've done their work and they can move on or perhaps not I mean we don't know what's going to happen to Jacob Rees-Mogg it's probably going to lose his job well he's disappeared since uh, he those has. controversial mm. comments uh, I mentioned it earlier on um, economically we could be affected by other factors could we now see the breakup of the United Kingdom particularly with the SNP doing so well we're definitely going to be leaving the EU and Northern Ireland to boot the DUP had a terrible night as well yeah, I mean, I think the breakup of the union is a little bit exaggerated at this point. Um, yes, Scotland are going to push for a referendum. They had they had a they had a really really good night. They they got what more than fifty seats, um, uh, and they took a lot off the Tories. They took more seats off Labour. They 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 had an ex, they had an exceptional night. We can't we can't deny that. But that's not necessarily a mandate for a a second referendum. Uh, uh, that is not the only thing that people vote for the SNP for, and that's not the only reason people didn't want to vote for Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn in Scotland any less than it was in the rest of the UK. Uh, so I think the, this idea that this is a mandate for a referendum it, it doesn't make sense to me. But also, Westminster still has to approve a second referendum, uh, and they can. Uh, I can't foresee a situation where they will. I could if there would if there'd been a hung parliament and it was part of any agreement with the Labour Party. But as it stands, I don't foresee any situation where in the next couple of years they're going to accept another referendum. Uh, how can the how can the Conservatives sit there and say we're blocking a second referendum on Brexit because you're just ignoring the result of the first and then grant one to Scotland? It's the same kind of hypocrisy. And so I just don't see I just don't see that happening. I think that has been a little bit exaggerated at this point. But what really is uh, is interesting, kind of from a market's perspective, I guess, is we talked a lot about the pound and how that's been moving. What's been really interesting today, unsurprising, but very interesting today, is the movement in in the utility companies, in BT, in uh, in Royal Mail, in National Grid, in all of these companies that were threatened with nationalisation. Housing stocks um, today we're seeing uh, up by up between five and ten percent. All of these companies that felt. Th- highly threatened um, by the risk of nationalisation and everything that comes with it uh, are now really breathing a huge sigh of relief today and again it doesn't matter what your political opinion is the markets will tell their own story and the markets say that they're very relieved right now that the the, the conservative has not only got a, a majority government which does uh, create some certainty around uh, brexit but they've effectively killed uh, Corbyn, who's already said he won't run in the next election, and potentially killed the possibility of facing such a far left-wing Labour Party uh, again. I think that's probably the last gasp chance for any hope uh, of uh, radical left-wing policies ever coming to Downing Street. That really was the end of uh, Project Corbyn, wasn't it? As you said, there have been some winners today, but not just winners in the utilities that you mentioned, Royal May, etc., but um, corporation tax, for instance, there was talk in the manifesto of increasing that uh, by Labour to 26%. That didn't go down at all well uh, from the 19% it is currently at the moment. So there have been winners in the in the business world. I just want to ask you one more question about this. Christmas is round the corner. So we're now going to go into a sort of holding pattern. What are markets going to be doing over the next few weeks in terms of the UK? Is it going to be very, very steady and almost level out? 
I really thought you were about to give me a secret Santa live on air. I'm, I'm a little ah. bit disappointed that you ventured into <laughs> into another topic. I'm not sure you deserve it. Oh, I, I, I very much deserve it. Uh, I may, I'm also sleep deprived, so maybe that's why I thought that was about to happen. Um, it, yeah, I do think they go into a bit of a holding pattern. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about uh, the US-China issue in a second, but yeah, I think... Beyond this weekend, um, if things go to plan on the trade front, then I think there's a, a strong possibility now that we do enter into festive period. And I think everyone's kind of ready for it. The central banks have had their say, they've done their part. We've had the election now. We've got a, a quite a clear um, signal from that. Boris has actually said that he wants to get back to Parliament as soon as possible and start the process of of leaving the EU. So I don't think Parliament's going to be particularly quiet in the run up to Christmas, but people don't care about this side of things. People care about the side of things that can change something. This is now the administrative side, effectively. So I don't think people are going to be particularly interested in that. And if we can get the trade situation over the line as well, then yeah, I think we're in full holiday mode from this Monday. We've been talking about this for two years. We've been on on air, as it were. For... Boring people for two years <laughs> well, about Well, you know, you, you might say that, <laughs> but I'm sure there are fans out there who've enjoyed. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to actually talk about something else for change of course you say that but we are going to be talking about the u.s china trade war or maybe not such a war more jaw jaw though rather than war war at the moment yeah it's annoying that we're we're going from phase one to phase two in both of these situations yeah. from uh, from leaving the eu into phase two trying to negotiate a new trade agreement phase one trade agreement between the u.s and china to the phase two two agreement uh, maybe next year do you think it might work in the uk's favor that trump is going into an election in terms of negotiating a decent deal uh, with the United States or will he, is he going to go hard on us in terms of you know, uh, making it more difficult to actually you know, come up with something which is mutually beneficial for both parties? To be honest, I think uh, Boris Johnson's just going to be a bit peeved that Donald Trump's stolen his thunder uh, with these reports coming out about the US-China trade phase one deal uh, on the night of his uh, massive uh, election victory. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it helps us, I don't think it harms us, to be honest. I think it will be different trade teams that will be having these negotiations. Trump has made it perfectly clear since day one that he wants a trade deal with the UK after it leaves the EU. He clearly wanted a clean break, but you can't get everything you want. And I still think he definitely wants a massive trade deal with the UK. Uh, from his perspective, we have to remember he does see Europe, like it or loathe it, as a competitor. He doesn't see them as an ally. Uh, and therefore, to take... Uh, it, it, it's In his eyes, he is, uh, he is Liverpool uh, and Europe is Manchester City and he is trying to scalp Kevin De Bruyne. Many footy fans may get that uh, that analogy. Many non-football fans may not have a clue. But he, I, I think, I think Donald Trump, if he can get his, a trade deal with the UK, he'll feel like he's stolen Europe's star player or one of Europe's star players, and so he'll Is that see good that for us? as a. It, I mean, I, I think we're almost the irrelevance in this in in this little tit for tat between the US and Europe. It's is each side. It's one side trying to get a scalp against the other, trying to steal one of the star players from the other side and get them on their team. And so, I, I and that's why he, I think he does want this ambitious trade deal with the UK. And I think they'll work very hard to do so. The question for the UK is going to be: Does that leave us better off? Does that? Does that? Does that? Will we then have the sovereignty and the freedom that we've wanted as a result of leaving the European Union, or will we just be restricted by another entity? Uh, and what does that do for our ability to trade with the European Union and create an ambitious trade agreement with them as well? So. The next few years is going to be all about trade talks, and this is where it's going to get really... If we thought the last few years is going to be boring, the next few years is going to get really boring. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens to some of the international companies based here, because we've had so much uncertainty over the last three and a half years. We now know we're leaving, and it is quite possible that some big names 
uh, particularly in the financial services community, will start to leave or, or certainly to, to open up uh, you know, more areas in the likes of Frankfurt, uh, in Dublin, in Paris and so on. It may be that we start to see the negative effect of a definite Brexit. Yeah, it could be. Um, I, I think, uh, well, that, well, I guess we'll wait and see. That's, uh, I th- I'm sure many of these companies have already set up these kind of remote offices in these other countries because it was quite clear that there was a strong chance that the UK would eventually leave the EU, especially from a business perspective, ignoring personal opinion. Uh, I'm sure from a business perspective, they'll have seen saying for some time there's a good chance we're going to leave. So they'll have set up remote operations in mm. these countries. They're kind of sh- not shell companies, but have enough people over there to run the operations. Whether that actually comes at the expense of jobs in the UK or whether it, it's it, it's... Uh, an entity that runs alongside the UK and the UK is still seen to have all the benefits that it once had barring uh, as clean an access to the EU. We'll have to wait and see and I'm sure history will will effectively judge will will effectively judge that on on our behalf and it'll all depend on what kind of trade deal we do get ultimately and how long the transitional period lasts because we've got to remember just because we leave the EU on the 31st of January nothing changes from our perspective, where we go into the transition period, and uh, which could the, go on for quite a which long could time. go on two or three years, and yeah. the transitional period is the UK basically being in the EU. So maybe the transition period will go into the next election. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that, that could, can I, you imagine? I hope, I really hope not. No. I don't think my brain can take that. No, no. Um, one more thing on that US uh, China uh, trade talk uh, conversation. Uh, there is talk about the US willing to delay. A December mm-hmm. tariffs is that nailed on now? So nothing's nailed on. So this is a report that I I first saw last night or yesterday afternoon. There was the Trump tweet where he said we're really close to a deal. Uh, the China wants it and the US wants it. Now the interesting thing about that tweet and I try not to get too carried away with Trump or, or his tweets. To be quite honest, he said we're close to a deal so many times. He said China wants it so many times. And um, actually in October he said the deal was done. So we're now two months on and the deal hasn't been done. So I try not to get too excited by these tweets. But the reason why I, I gave a, what, what did give it more credibility and the reason why people bought into it so much and I think the reason why I started to believe it might actually have some substance behind it one was the proximity to these tariffs this was either going to be the make or break point either talks collapse or a deal is done uh, and, and the second thing is there was a Wall Street Journal report that was released shortly after it which talked about the details saying sources suggest that the US is willing to delay the tariffs on the roughly $160 billion worth of consumer goods which were going to be part of the uh, final tariff package but also cut uh, the $360 billion that have already been imposed in half. Now, these kind of details being leaked uh, is a little bit unusual and would suggest there is some substance and it seems that other sources have been given similar information and that's going to be an exchange for higher agricultural uh, purchases from China, etc. So, yeah, I think that's uh, really interesting and it does seem hopeful that we could get that trade deal over the line uh, in, the next, uh, in the next 24, 48 hours and I think that'd be a massive thing for the markets. I'm sure everyone at this point's heard about the fabled Santa Rana well, uh, if this doesn't get uh, the Santa rally enthusiasts excited, then I don't know what will, because this is a massive de-escalation if these reports are accurate in the trade war. Yep, the Santa rally. Christmas is almost uh, with us. Anything we should be looking ahead to next week? A, a quiet week, I expect. So yes and no. It's um, I, I as I said, I think we're heading into the festive period now. I think people are going to be zoning out. People are going to. Be, this is when people start taking holidays from now till the end of the year, uh, or at least checking out a bit, doing some more holiday shopping, getting out of work a little bit early, booking half days. So this is and when and when that's enough the, about you. <laughs> and when I'm, I'm definitely taking Monday off. I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> uh, and when um, and when 
when all this is happening and there's not too much to talk about, the markets are typically going to slow down. That doesn't mean the rally can't continue. Uh, that it's not, It doesn't affect the direction of markets, just the trading volumes and the type of activity and volatility we can see. And um, I, I do feel like we're heading into that period. That said, we do have a lot of economic data over the course of next week. Bunches of PMIs, I think we've got some GDP figs and things like that. We've got the Bank of England on Thursday, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's going to be too much to that, but we're in the aftermath of an election with a Tory majority. The Bank of England does have a little bit more information to hand, and this is not uh, uh, one of the Super Thursday quarterly inflation reports, so we're not going to see the big press conference. We're not going to see the economic forecasts, but that doesn't mean we won't get a statement alongside uh, the latest uh, announcement. So maybe we'll get a bit of insight into what does the Tory majority mean for the Bank of England in terms of uh, the interest rate cycle. Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. We appreciate it because uh, you really haven't had any sleep for the last you know, two days almost. So, um, uh, good job. I'm going straight to bed. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.